Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me smash my... Weekly at the epicenter for murder, mystery, and mayhem. Do you think people who haven't listened before have turned it on, hear that, and then they turn it off because they're like, these bitches can't even say this word right? It's probably. What if it really is epicenter? I always say epicenter. Oh no. (laughs) Oh no, you're an idiot. (laughs) No, which one of us is wrong? I don't know. I've also been 100% known to say things very wrong. That's true. You do it for I fun, pronounce I think. Everything it's like a disease. Wrong. Like, I can't, you're either doing it for fun or to torment other people. <laughs> I just don't have time to think about what it actually is called. I don't have time to learn the whole alphabet. I only need 20 of the letters. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Six mm-hmm. of them I never pronounce. Exactly. I'm one of your hosts, Brianna. <laughs> I'm your other host, Jackson Whitmore. That's right. I'm your favorite adopted Teen Wolf character who then turns into some sort of lizard and then I go away for some time and then I come back and I might be gay. Am I gay? Anyways, watch Teen Wolf. (laughs) I stopped watching it after it got real fucking weird. I... mm, They went to Mexico and I was like, this is not for me anymore. I only watched literally like five episodes. But I good. know, like, so much of the plot. You do. <laughs> and then I know none of, so much of the other plots. Because I remember, because I've always followed that guy on, um, on Instagram. Because we used to be, like, nipple ring buddies. Because he had nipple rings for forever. And then when he filmed, like, Scream or something, something he did, he, they put makeup over his nipples and then he lost his rings. That part doesn't matter. But I've always followed him on Instagram. And then when I saw that he came back to the show after, like, years of not being on the show, I was just like, what? And then I had to find out why. And then one time, I think it was Alex, recapped the entire last episode to me. (laughs) Okay. I don't remember why. I know that dude is, like, with a super old guy, though. Hmm? That guy is with a super old guy. Because he's gay. He's with this really, really old dude. Oh, they broke up, I think. Oh. Just goes to show I haven't watched the anything and i don't pay attention i don't follow celebrities very much so oh, i follow that one very closely <laughs> and david's face <laughs> okay i have a question okay tell me your question were you a fan of the spice girls uh yes which spice girl were you um baby we have the same birthday <laughs> me and baby i was spice. baby as well yes <laughs> that's why we're friends strictly for the shoes <laughs> Oh. You know I love me some good platforms. She does wear platforms. I thought a lot of them wore platforms. She wore them all the time with cute little dresses. That's Mm -hmm. my look. Sneakers and dresses. Mm -hmm. I love that shit. But I was Baby Spice because I also had really, really long hair. And it was usually like straight. It was straighter when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So my mom used to put it in super high pigtails and then just kind of curled them. Wow. <laughs> it was a look. I love those fucking she, shoes. She did something. And she bought hair. me those shoes. Oh. <laughs> Imogene. So, yeah. Stop it. Okay. So, my other question. It's a twofer. Oh, okay. If you became a Spice Girl, mm-hmm. what Spice name Shut up. would you make up for yourself? I have no idea. This is so much pressure. <laughs> I realized what you were going to ask me and I was like, no. You go first. I have no idea. 
I would be fighty spice. Fighty spice? Fighty spice. <laughs> and I will fight people. Okay. And it would be like karate spice, but I don't know how to do karate. Mm-mm. Punchy spice. Kung Pao spice. Punch spice. Kung Pao spice. <laughs> that's, racist. that's racist. Yeah, <laughs> that's wow. problematic. That's problematic a lot. Real bad. <laughs> What's other words for fighting? Kung Fu Panda. No? Punch spice. Punch spice. Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> One track mind. You're an asshole. One track is always on Jack Black. <laughs> I think about him day and night. <laughs> Have you ever seen that TikTok of the girl who's at a sorority trying to not let them know she's a lesbian? They're like, who's your celebrity crush? And she's trying to think of a man. And she goes, Jack Black. <laughs> no, I've never seen that one. <laughs> That's perfect. I have to see that. She's like, me trying to think of a safe man, Jack Black. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, um, I'm really still trying to think of another word for punch. Punch. Kick spice. Kick spice. I'm not really into kicking. Knuckle it's spice. hard because they had Knuckles. baby spice. None of the names really made sense. No, Hot spice made sense. Baby ginger spice, spice acts like sense. a baby. Ginger spice was a ginger. Sporty spice was sporty. Scary spice screamed in your face a lot. She was like, ah! Oh <laughs> for no reason. Yeah. Um, and then Posh Spice was very posh. But it doesn't make sense. Ginger Spice, they went off her looks. Baby Spice, they went off her personality. Yeah, Spice, but it was like, they went off of what she likes. It was like, when you know her, what is the first adjective that comes to your head? Oh, she's the baby. Oh, she's very sporty. She's always yeah, doing kicks and shit and wearing those little trainers. Mm. What's yours? What did you say yours was? I didn't come up with one yet. Shit. This is so much pressure. Maybe we think about it and we'll bring it back to you next episode. <laughs> oh my god, this is so unsatisfying for the listeners. We want to know which spice you are, though. I think I'm like... Heavy eyeliner spice. <laughs> <laughs> I just do my eyeliner every day. Sure, why not? It makes me cry and I still do it. <laughs> just if someone turns a fan on in my vicinity. Um, maybe I'm like, like, bitchy spice. I don't bitchy know. Spice. We can't both be. <laughs> I hate you, spice. We're both angry spice. Kind of an asshole, spice. Yeah. <laughs> don't look in her direction. She doesn't like you, spice. <laughs> oh, Charles would be horny, spice. <laughs> <laughs> Alonso is freckle, spice. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to go home and call him that it's now. It's so much easier to come up with other people. I don't know what I would describe you as. I don't know what I would I describe... think we're too similar. That's why we're having an yeah. issue because we're like, I don't know what I would describe you as because I can't describe myself. Yeah. Mm. Ratchet top. spice for me, maybe. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little ratchet. <laughs> oh. Oh. See, I would make myself... You'd be like quirky spice or some shit like that. Ah, that's an insult. <laughs> How is that insulting? I'm not quirky. <laughs> I'm not LOL random XD. <laughs> I'm not like the other girls. <laughs> I'm just like the other girls. Maybe you like book spice or some shit. Book spice? Book oh, spice. you're just insulting me a lot. <laughs> you're nerd spice. You're a nerd. Your kid reads spice. <laughs> like, thanks. <laughs> And the other one's not. 
Um, I just, well, Posh Smart wasn't Posh Smart Spice like super smart too, or was it Ginger Spice that was like really really smart? I think both of them were. Because I think there was one that was like a scientist. I think that was Ginger. Mm. I miss those movies. I'm gonna listen to that soundtrack on my way home. <laughs> I have the movie. Um, remember when they came out with the lollipops? They came out with lollipops, and they had, it was white, and they had, like, Spice World on them. Oh. Kylie has the Barbies. I don't have the Barbies. We I had the Barbies having... when we were little, and then she got new ones. Oh. They're all in their boxes. That's pretty cool. I own one Barbie, and it's a Frida Kahlo one. <laughs> all right. My parents were here recently. You know that. Uh, my mom brought up my Sailor Moon dolls. <laughs> they were I used to have Barbie Sailor Moon where are they now they're on my bookcase now I only I she only brought one because I think I lost the other one but it was the little girl one with the pink hair oh, oh it was a little chibi spice chibi spice <laughs> chibi moon I guess I don't remember that's what they called that's not her real name that was her moon sailor name that was her pirate name that was her pirate name <laughs> And it was just because she was a mini version of Sailor Moon. So they That's the one, she yeah. She could be Sailor Moon Jr. Anyway, I have that doll. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, well, just to revisit, um, I want to be Bossy Spice. Okay, I thought I was going to call myself Bossy Spice too, and I was like, just say asshole, because you're kind of an asshole about if it. We're, if we're on the same team, I can't be Bossy Spice, because I don't try to boss you around. So. <laughs> uh, I don't know what Can I Can I be, like, Secret Spice? You are very secretive, so I yeah. I have a lot of secrets. It's Shush Shush Spice. Shush Shush Spice. It's actually Spice. <laughs> Um, it's always been the green one. I fucking can't remember her name right now. Buttercup. It's always been Buttercup, but, um, yeah, I've always been, like, you know when you play with your friends and stuff like that? I've always been the tough-ass, what, you know, like, Cheetah Girls, they had the one tough girl, and then, I was always... Cheetah Girls, Cheetah Sisters, I have that CD in my car. I always played whatever the tough one was. Raven Simone. No. You were the, the little, little blonde Adriana one. Adriana Bailon. No, you were the little... The blonde one the was adopted the... adopted one. Yeah, that was the one who was the tough one in that group. In mm-hmm. Powerpuff Girls, it was the green one that was the tough one. Oh, wow. You guys played Cheetah Girls? because everybody knew I was holy in the closet. <laughs> I was playing hopscotch with the closet door. <laughs> Think about it throughout the entire episode. <laughs> we'll come back at the end, and we'll figure it out then. Okay, let's try. Are you ready to play Slappy Hands? Yeah, I'm ready to do the Slappy Hands. 
Mm-mm. Let it out, girl. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it looked like you were gonna do. <laughs> serious and not light at all at any point nope this is your trigger warning (laughs) here we go on the evening of december 3rd 1957 maria rodolfo her best friend cat and her best friend kathy sigmund are playing i wrote playing as two words are playing in the snow outside of their houses This game they favored was Duck the Cars, where they would run back and forth trying not to get caught by the headlights of an oncoming car. They looked like duck behind trees and shit. As they continue running back and forth, they are approached by a man in his 20s. He is a tall, thin man with a slender chin, a gap in his teeth, light hair, and wearing a colorful sweater. By my description, you can tell he obviously has nothing to do with the story. (laughs) He gets to chatting with the seven-year-olds and tells them to call him Johnny. Um, He tells them that he's 24 and unmarried and asks if they like dolls or piggyback rides. Maria does like piggyback rides, so he gives her one around the street. She then runs home to grab a doll to show him. Once Maria returns, Kathy says that her fingers are cold, so she runs inside to grab her mittens. When she comes back out, both Maria and the man are gone. Hmm. Kathy looks all around outside, but can't find them. <clears throat> she goes into the Rodolfo house to tell the fa- parents she can't find Maria, who, upon hearing this, sent her 11-year-old brother out, thinking she's playing hide-and-seek. However, when he returns without her, they call the police. Within an hour, the police and armed civilians are mobilized and begin searching the town for both Maria and Johnny. They find no sign of either. Within two days, the FBI is involved. They canvass the area and interview witnesses, but have no leads. Witnesses saw the girls playing between 6 and 6.30, but no man with them. This leads them to believe that she was abducted between 6.45 and 7. Assuming the kidnapper may return, Kathy is put in protective custody. They have her look at lineups and photos, but she only points out one man who didn't do it, which later in life she never recalls doing. The Rodolfos go on the news, pleading for their daughter's safe return. In an interview, the mother describes her as high stru- as a high-strung, nervous girl, hysterical when she's in trouble. She says someone would probably have to kill her to keep her quiet. Oh. That's an unsettling thing to say. <laughs> this is while she's still missing. Mm-hmm. I am the only one who could calm her down. She also described her as a screamer and afraid of the dark. So, it's foreboding. Um, so, uh, quickly, the FBI realizes 
um, that she probably wasn't taking over state lines. They don't, they're not involved as so much anymore. But you know who is involved is President Eisenhower and okay. the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover. They get very invested in the investigation. Okay. Um, so they constantly are asking for updates on it. Numerous suspects are brought in, but the next break in the case they get is when... Is five months later, in 1958, when tourists are searching for mushrooms and they instead find skeletal remains of a small child wearing only a shirt, undershirt, socks, and under... She's laying beneath a partially fallen tree. She was there for several months. The decomposition had already set in, obviously. Um, They identified her through dental records, hair, and the shirt and socks she was wearing the day she went missing. Her coat, slacks, shoes, and the undergarment she was wearing are not found. Um, There were no photos taken of the crime scene of the body because the coroner, James Furlong, didn't want photos leaked to the paper. Um, so keep your shit under wraps and keep your people under wraps. For real. <laughs> For real, girl. I know. I was just like, that's questionable. Um, the, I'm going to not do my job correctly because I'm fucking scared of my snitch. <laughs> I can't. Sorry. Go on. They took a pictures of the area, but not, they like, didn't get the body in any of the shots. Um, I feel like at that point, then you would be like, only these people can look at this picture. Mm-hmm. Two or three people mm-hmm. keep it super under wraps. Yeah. If anybody goes out, you lose your job. Like Yeah. So there was no, because of the decomposition, there was no cause of death. Um, they didn't find out what happened to her, to her until much later. So let's talk about the suspects. Okay, so one of the suspects is William, which they bring in a lot of suspects. These are just the only two that had a probable, like... Mm-hmm. This might be them. So, William Henry Redmond. <clears throat> in 1997, uh, Sycamore Police Lieutenant Patrick Solar uh, had closed the case, naming William Henry Redmond a former truck driver and carnival worker from Nebraska, who had died five years previously, as a man who had likely abducted and killed Maria Rudolph. 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 Oh, my God. I've been saying Rudolfo the whole time. It's Rudolph. fuck (laughs) sorry everyone try to cut out the O specifically okay so Mm -hmm. uh, he had been he did this so he said that it was probably this guy who had died five years before because of his priors which were he was charged in 1988 with the 1951 murder of an 8 year old Pennsylvanian girl although that case was then dismissed when an officer refused to reveal the name of a confidential informant um, Redmond was also a suspect in the 1951 disappearance of a 10-year-old Beverly Potts in Ohio. Um, <clears throat> and according to the lieutenant, um, Redmond had told an inmate that he had committed a crime similar to the Rudolph um, abduction and murder. Um, and he matched the description of Johnny. Hmm. So... He didn't have any evidence, and they also thought he might be politically motivated to say that it was this guy. Um, And Solar, at least, was like, yeah, my evidence isn't, you know, it's pretty circumstantial, but um, if he lived, I could have tried to convict him. I don't know if it would have been able to, you know, be pulled off. Mm -hmm. 
So he said it was closed but not solved. But he still closed the case. Um, he had pushed super hard for it to be this guy. And then everyone else was like, you don't have any evidence. And then he was like, okay, but it could be him. Which he does have the priors, but he doesn't have any evidence to support that it was him. Mm. And he's also a truck driver, and I always think about those Criminal Minds episodes where they're like, yes, millions of people die on the highways every year, runaways and everything, because they're just murderer truck drivers driving around. They're serial killers, and the perfect job to have is a truck driver, and I just think about that all the time. (laughs) All of the unsolved murders. And they're like, yeah, you just drive across state lines all day long. All these people went missing. The one that I think of is the, um, every person you meet. I think they said that it's like, you meet, like, 31 serial killers in your lifetime, or something like that. Something, I think it could be a smaller number, but they said, and that's what I think about every time. Well, we already know two of them. We'll cut this part out. (laughs) Yeah. I think about that because I work in, with the public. A lot. Uh-huh. I'm hands-on with those people a lot. Uh-huh. I'm constantly like, mm, Is it mm, you? Is it you? Mm-hmm. Are you number 31? <laughs> <laughs> Are you the last one and then I'm clear forever? Yeah. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, you think and you meet people and you're like, oh my god, they're so nice. And then you're like, yeah. oh my god. They're so nice and deeply unsettling. Yeah. You never know till it's too late. Wow. (sighs) So, let's talk about the next guy. Okay. (laughs) I was like, that's it? That's That's your whole story? No. Fool. (laughs) You fool? Okay, so, uh, John Tessier, who at this point, at the beginning of this investigation, went by John Cherry eventually changed his name because of the ribbing he got from his last name being Cherry. So, um, he was close to the description of the guy. Like, he matched the description. His name was John. Um, and he was a neighbor. Was he married? He was 17. He was not married. (laughs) Just like the guy. But, um... Who tells seven-year-olds, this is super important, but I'm not married? Hey, I just want you girls to know. I'm not married. It's like a fool. Oh, like gave me the chills even just yeah. saying it. Okay, so when they questioned him, though, um, his mom said that John was home the night of the murder. And then they were inclined to not believe it was him because the dad was known around town and he actually painted the the cop cars. The insi- he put the insignias on them. Hmm. Um, so that obviously makes you innocent. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Okay, and? <laughs> yeah. So, um, the mom did say that he was home that night. But this was later to report it to not be true. Mm-hmm. Um, because then their follow-up alibi had nothing to do with him being home. So, um, they couldn't decide whether they started investigating with him because of a tip put in about him or because the parents were trying to clear his name. But they told the FBI he was in Rockford, um, 40 miles away, to enlist list in the Air Force. He said he was in Chicago doing physical exams. Um, the morning of the 3rd, uh, he was proven to visit Chicago Recruiting Station. And then they said he did sightseeing all day, which is always not a thing. <laughs> um, That's not a thing. You don't fucking just, have that hobby. He just went sightseeing all day. 
Um, and then he took a train to Rockford at 6.45, called his parents for a ride home. He took a train to Rockford, and when he arrived at 6.45, he called his parents for a ride home. So, um, they did get a collect call from Rockford Post Office to the Tessier home at 6.57 p.m., and they did identify it as John T Tessier, um, talking, John Tassier, actually, she got the name wrong, talking to the operator. So, he also then dropped off paperwork at the Rockford recruiting station at 7.15, right after he made the call. Um, however, one of the recruiters did question his credibility and his conduct. I don't know how that came up, just in the moment of dropping your paperwork off. <laughs> but they said that it did. Mm -hmm. um, so, he, they took him in anyways. He passed a lie detector test, so they took him off the suspect list. Okay. So, then he became a cop. He went to the Air Force, and then when he was out of the Air Force, he became a cop, and then eventually in 1982, um, I wrote eventually, like, this is something that just happens, and I don't know why, because this is not something that just happens. <laughs> so he became a cop, and then in 1982, incidentally, he took in a 15-year-old runway and her friend who knew him as a cop. Shortly after, he, pro he fondled her and performed sexual acts on her body um which from my impression she did not want to happen can't mm -hmm. tell um anyways he was charged with statutory rape which is a felony but he pleaded out for communication with a minor for immoral purposes which is a misdemeanor which led him to one year of probation and he was fired mm. so um He then had um, no further crimes aside from that. Um, and the misdemeanor, which they are all just saying, they all were just, all the websites were like, oh, it was just a misdemeanor. And it's like, but it was for statutory rape. And mm -hmm. he was old at that point. It was 82. So he was like 30 some other number. <laughs> if he was 17 in, let's see, in 19... 50. He's 17 in 1957. You were born in 1940. So in 82, he's 42. Mm. Gross. Yuck. Yuck. Yuck you. Yuck. Hey, fuck you, guy. <clears throat> so. 42. 15-year-old. Doesn't matter if it's consensual. You're fucking disgusting. You can't give consent because they're children. So anyways, he doesn't have any other crimes after that. Um, and as I said, they had taken him off of the suspect list. And at this point, the case has been unsolved. Um, until 1994, when his mother is on her deathbed with two of his sisters. He's estranged at this point. He has, I think, four sisters. But... She says to the daughter, Jeanette, those two little girls and the one that disappeared, John did it. John did it and you have to tell someone. So Jeanette, the sister who heard this confession, had been told by her sisters, Catherine and Jean, that her mother had lied, to, lied about his whereabouts to investigators originally. Um, the other sister, another sister, Mary Pat, who 
was also sitting there. Only heard her say John did it, but both of them drew the same conclusion, which was it was in reference to this exact case. And they always knew that the older sisters had ex- had suspected him of doing it. Just because they were like, it's mad suspicious that you lied. So they took the same meaning from it. Um, they also, you know, he was estranged. Uh, he had apparently, reportedly, once threatened to kill Janet with a gun. And he had also molested Jean, his other sister, when she was younger. Among, allegedly, other girls. Mm-hmm. So... For four- I don't understand parents who do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would not. You did something why cover, wrong. Yeah, why cover for your kid who's a murderer? So for 14 years, Jean worked on reopening the case, um, which was now 55 years cold, mm-hmm. um, until the cold case unit began to look into it. Uh, she finally contacted the right people. So they reworked the timeline, saying he could have kidnapped her and driven to Rockford to call by 657 if he had taken her by 620. Um, Taking photos from 1957, they had Kathy, the childhood friend, look to see if she could ID John. She did, finding his photo out of a photo lineup. Um, Upon finding the photo, his ex... uh, also gave them an unused military-issued train ticket from December 1957, which they were like, so it's the train ticket from the train he was supposed to be on, and he said he didn't have his car. But somebody had seen his one car out in, like, driving around, and he apparently never let anyone drive it. So there was that, and then him not getting on the train, but making it to the recruitment offices, but he could have made it if he drove, not if he rode the train. Um, meaning, you know, he could have done it, even though they were like, oh, um, well, the roads were icy, and it's like, if I did a murder, I wouldn't be worried about the icy roads. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think I, someone on Reddit had said that, too. So, anyways, he's 73 years old at this point, it's 2011, they arrest him. Mm. Um, they give him a... Pretty much life sentence because he's 73. And then he's in jail for four years. And then he gets released. What the fuck? Yes. Because they were like, there wasn't enough proof. We could prove that he wasn't there. Um, because of the call. And some there was one person on the internet that was like, he never said he took the train. Like, they were like debunking a lot of things. But they also didn't like source any of it and I didn't see any of that information anywhere else so that was the only thing I was like "Mm, I could look into this more but I'm not finding anything but also like there were like some little contradicting things anyway so he gets out because they're like yeah we looked into the timeline and it, it doesn't work his alibi has to be true um so then he gets out after four years but they also um had left it open where he could be tried again um, but then they eventually declared him innocent in 2016. And now there's nothing. Wow. They don't know who did it. He's still alive? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But also, it's like, he has priors. Like yeah. Trying to, and it was his sisters were going after him, too. Mm-hmm. His sisters were like, yeah, it's him. Mm-hmm. And... Why would his mom say that? But they were like, oh, she was on morphine. 
issue is it was really easy to poke holes and stuff. Yeah. So they were like, oh, she was on a lot of morphine. She was on her deathbed. So she was like, but weary. nobody's ever heard of a deathbed confession. Like I know, I was like, deathbed confession. This is it. Yeah. This is so good. Wow. So still unsolved to this day, and it had been like groundbreaking because it was the oldest cold case to result in an arrest, and mm. then it didn't. Mm. So it's still a very old cold case. Well, that's annoying. Yeah. But at this point, it's, what, 60-something? <laughs> 60-some other number? <laughs> and wow. that's the T. Hmm. And Reddit didn't have any good theories on who they thought it was, because a lot of people were just like, it was him. Mm-hmm. I, would th- I still think still it's think him. I still think it's him. <laughs> so, that's the only thing. Oh, that was good. Thanks. I'm ready for you now. So we'll just jump right on in. Jump right on in. All right. I have a hard opening. Okay. Cold open. (laughs) I guess that's what we're calling it. I have a hard open, cold close. You'll be so bored by the close of it. You'll just be like, oh. Okay. So our story starts on November 4th, 1989. The Grizzen family had been found in their homes, murdered and mutilated. 55-year-old William Grisson, his 24-his 24-his 24 children, his 24-year-old daughter Julie, and his 8-year-old son grandson—fuck. And his 8-year-old grandson Sean. Um, the family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing for dinner, and afterwards, Julia Grisson's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and posed. This gruesome murder would go unsolved for nearly two years. So let's fast forward a little bit. Two years? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Two fast forward. Years later. Is, uh, fast forward one year. <laughs> hmm. uh, night after night on the University of Florida campus in Gainesville, Florida, the students were living in a, were living a fe- the students were living a fear fueled summer in 1990. On the night of August 24th, an unknown man followed home two 17-year-old freshmen, Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. Once inside, he... Sorry, her name was Krista Powell. Once inside, he found Krista on the couch and Sonia upstairs in her bed. He duct-taped Sonia first to stop her from yelling out and stabbed her multiple times. She died fighting him off. The intruder then went back upstairs, taped Krista's mouth shut bound her hands together behind her back, and threatened her with a knife as he cut her clothes off. He then raped her and forced her down on the forced her. He then raped her and forced her face down onto the floor, where he stabbed her five times in the back. He then proceeded to pose the body in a sexually provocative position. Uh, He took a shower before leaving in the apartment, but once he was done, he decided to cut off the girl's nipples and keep one as a trophy for for his night, for the night's events. This began the streak of the Gainesville Ripper. I was just gonna say, is this a Gainesville Ripper? It is. Have you known the story? Yeah. Shut your mouth. It's local, and Leola lives in Gainesville, so. Um... So, the very next day, on Saturday, August 25th, the apartment of 18-year-old... 
See, now I don't know if I got the names wrong. <laughs> why, would I, why would you think you have them wrong? Because this girl's name is also Krista. I think I messed up the names. I will double check. <laughs> um, the very next day on Saturday, August 25th, the apartment of 18-year-old Krista Hoyt was broken into. The intruder pried open a sliding glass door with a K-bar knife and a screwdriver. Finding she was not home, he waited in the living room for her to return. At 11 a.m., Hoyt entered the apartment and was surprised when someone came from behind, placing her in a chokehold. After she had been subdued, the attacker taped her mouth shut, bound her wrists together, and led her into the, be- the bedroom. Led her into the bedroom, where he cut the clothes off her body and raped her. Similar to the murder the night before, he forced her face down and stabbed her in the back, rupturing her heart. Oh. He then died. Da- <sighs> I feel like I'm trying to just get through the story really fast. Take your time. He then decapitated the body and posed her head on a shelf, facing the corpse, which he posed on the end of the bed upright. Adding to the shock of whoever would discover adding to the shock of whoever would discover her. He also cut off her nipples and laid them beside her. So by now, news of the gruesome murder had spread across the university and had attracted media attention. These murders all occurred less than two miles from each other around the University of Florida. The university proceeded to cancel classes for a week. Students brought baseball bats with them everywhere they went, and no one went out alone during the day or the night. Students triple locked doors, and some slept in shifts so someone was awake at all times. By the end of August, thousands of students left campus, and around 700 nearly came... 700 never came back because they feared for their lives. So, on August 27th, the sliding... Nope. (laughs) On August 27th, the sliding glass doors of the apartment where 23-year-old Tracy Pollers was living with her roommate, 23-year-old Manny Taboda, were broken into with tools similar to those used in the last two break-ins. The intruders came upon Manny sleeping in one of the bedrooms, and after struggling with the football player, um, killed him. Cut the um out. <laughs> killed him. Um, killed him. him. <laughs> uh, the commotion caused Tracy to investigate uh, the noise. Seeing the man, first of all, you never investigate the fucking noise. No, never. You just run in the opposite direction. You lock your door. Mm-hmm. You call the police. So she went and investigated to see what the commotion was about, and she saw a man. And she went back to her room and tried to barricade herself in, which she failed at when he broke through the doors. He taped her mouth and wrists, cut her clothes off, and raped her, before turning her over and stabbing her three times in the back. He again posed her body, but left Manny's body in the same position in which she had been killed. Some think he was either scared off or getting close to getting caught, and he just left the body. Or it could be that he was a man. Who knows? Yeah, that's true. Um, the police were having a really hard time finding their killer with little to no evidence and just the similarities that could be found, um, being that the victims were all petite Caucasian women with brunette hair and brown eyes. They all pretty much fit this description except Tracy. Mm -hmm. So although they had very few leads, police did identify two subjects, one, a University of Florida student named Edward Humphrey, who had a history of mental illness. He lived in the same complex as two of the victims and often showed erratic behavior. He had already been arrested for hitting his grandmother. 
and he was discovered to be battling acute manic depression. He also had numerous scars on his face from a car accident, which kind of made him a target and helped build him up as a monster in the media. Mm. His photos were shown repeatedly on media um, by media outlets. However, there were zero evidence connecting him to the murders, so they just kind of had to clear his name. They couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, the second subject, they never really got into. They just said they cleared him and that was it. <laughs> don't worry about him. Yeah, don't worry. It's, it's fine. That's suspicious, like, constantly insisting something isn't a UFO. hmm <laughs> So, the murders continued to be unsolved until January 1991. More than four months after the murders in Gainville, Gainesville, police finally caught a break. Because of the similarities found in the Grissom murders in Shreveport and the murders in Gainesville with the posing of the victims and the tools used to break in... Mm-hmm. Uh, Florida investigators decided to look for DNA of prisoners from Shreveport. Shreveport? Ooh, smart. Shreveport. Shreveport, who were incarcerated. This led them to their big break. A man named Danny Rowling, 36, whose DNA they got from a tooth he got extracted while in custody. That's gross. Mm Mm-hmm. They just keep those teeth? I don't know if they got it. Like, I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It might have been, like, happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They were like, oh, just hold on. I'm just going to hold on to this little tooth. Um, he had been arrested on September 7th, in, uh, September 7th, 1990, in Ocala, Florida, when he robbed a Winn-Dixie at gunpoint and attempted to, f- and attempted to flee but crashed uh, the getaway car and was caught. A Winn-Dixie. Mm-hmm. So local, this whole story. Right? <laughs> We're going to talk about the egg water soon. <laughs> Um, he was investigated further. Danny Rowling, uh, so after he was caught, he was investigated even more closely. Mm-hmm. So, Danny Rowling was born in Shreveport, Louisiana on May 26th, 1954. Oh. He had an extremely abusive upbringing. His father was a Shreveport police officer named James Rowling, who had told Danny that he was unwanted from birth and abused his mother, Claudia, and his brother, Kevin. He started abusing Danny from the age of one when he beat him for not crawling properly. Hey, Cab. Yeah. <laughs> um, the abuse only heightened when his brother Kevin was born in 1955. Um, James didn't want children and had no problem continuing to remind his entire family about this. So, Claudia, the mother, made repeated attempts to leave her husband but always returned. Yeah. When Danny failed the third grade for no for too many abscesses due to illness, his mother had a nervous breakdown. Um, Danny's school counselor described him as suffering from inferior from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. So by age 11, Danny had been pick, had picked up music to cope with his abusive father. He played guitar and sang hymn-like songs. I it just reminds me of a hymen. I don't know why I keep saying I it. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I have to correct her. <laughs> Him like songs. Why did they pre- spelt it that way? I don't know. Anyway. About this time, his mother was committed to a hospital after claiming her husband had tried to cut her, had tried to make her cut herself with a razor blade. Danny then picked up drugs and alcohol, which only worsened his mental state. And as a teenager, he would go on to be arrested several times for robberies in Georgia and was even caught spying on a woman getting dressed when he was just 14. Oh, peeping Tom. And his dad 
beat him for it. As you should, I feel like. Anyway, <laughs> don't spy on women. It's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> there are a lot of things in this situation. <laughs> that are just bad. Yeah. So as an adult, he had been, he had trouble trying to assimilate into society and hold down a steady job. He tried enlisting in the Navy, but they wouldn't take him. And the Air Force, which did end up taking him, gave him no real comfort that he was looking for. And his consistent drug use caused him to be discharged. He took acid over a hundred times. One acid trip's gonna fuck your shit up. His brain was trash. Yeah. He eventually did live somewhat of a normal life and got married at 23. But after four years of being married, his wife separated from him after he threatened to kill her. Okay, that's fair. I I feel like. (laughs) Yeah. Um, at one point, Rowling worked as a waiter in Poncho's restaurant in Shreveport, and it was around this time that he lost his job. He went back to his hometown, and the murder of the Grissoms took place. Some felt as a revenge for everything mm-hmm. that was kind of going on in his life. Mm-hmm. And because they're like a family, and you know. Yeah. So at 6'2", he was a massive man. Massive and powerful. Excuse me. From the late 1970s to the 1990s, he committed a series of petty crimes and theft. He used a series of armed robberies to get cash and eventually in and out of the criminal justice system in Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama. In May 1990, it seemed Danny had hit a tipping point when he attempted to kill his father during a family argument in which his father lost an eye and an ear when Ooh. Danny shot him. Yeah. Oh. So, he fled, changed his identity with some papers he stole after breaking into someone's house. He fled Shreveport and took a bus to Sarasota, Florida to start a new life as Michael Kennedy Jr. in late July of 1990. Michael Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. So, Danny was already facing multiple life charges, and obviously, you know, that's where um, the campus murder started around that same time. So, Danny already was facing multiple life charges on his other crimes, but he formally was charged with the murder of the five students in June 1992. Prosecutors found enough evidence to convict him while he was up while this was an uphill battle on its own. They had a lot of it was really hard for them to pull together evidence to make him be guilty. Mm-hmm. Um but they found a small one-man camp where he was living in the wooded area located near the apartment complex, frequented by students. Um, and that's where investigators discovered audio diaries he had made alluding to the crimes. Oh, you dumb bitch. Right? If you're going to do your dirt, just do the dirt. Don't talk about the dirt. Yeah, I'm here to confess to myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also tried finding evidence putting him at the scenes, but he learned from his, his years of abuse and his father's, like, sneakiness um, he was able to clean up after himself most of the, the crime scenes. So he would, after he bound and gagged them, he would take the duct tape because it had fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. He would clean the inside of the women to take everything out of them and but... stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but he ended up confessing to being the Gainesville Ripper uh, on April. Wait. But he ended up being... Com- uh, mm-hmm. But he ended up confessing to being the Gainesville Ripper. And on April 20th, 1994, Roland was sentenced to death. He was diagnosed with antisocial, 
antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and paraphilia, which was previously known as sexual perversion. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was executed on October 25th, 2006 in Florida with 47 witnesses, which is double the capacity of the viewing room holds. He claimed... Huh? How they even do that? Everyone sat on each other's lap? Everybody stand. <laughs> Short wow. ones in the front, tall ones in the back. Yeah. He claimed his motives was to become a superstar similar to Ted Bundy. A superstar? Yeah. Ted Bundy superstar. Mm-hmm. His last meal, fun fact, consisted of lobster tails served with drawn butter, butterfly shrimp and cocktail sauce, a baked potato with sour cream, my favorite, with butter, Strawberry oh God, cheesecake. <laughs> Strawberry cheesecake and sweet tea. That was his last meal. So, Kevin Williamson was an inspiring writer in the 1990s when the Gainesville Ripper murders caught his attention. Williamson used the case to create a screenplay for a horror movie which revolved around the murders of college students and the media frenzy that ensued. The screenplay turned into the 1996 Cult classic, Scream. I love that movie! (laughs) So, he got his idea from the Gainesville Ripper, which is kind of where he... I think he, like I said, he was around here. It was happening here. Um, So, yeah. Um, That was... The movie focuses on high school students, but it's... His original idea was for college students. Mm -hmm. Wow. The inspiration. Amazing. <laughs> uh, I also got my information from all that is interesting.com, biography.com, and of course, good old Wikipedia. Make oh, sure you donate. <laughs> I got my information from. Uh, so I got some of my information from Reddit. I got it from Wikipedia, obviously, and the Daily Chronicle. Oh. Yes. Yes, but. Um, you're Ted Bondi, B- Bondi? Ted Bondi. <laughs> your Ted, Ted Bundy comment reminded me of people posting and they were like, for everyone who keeps posting pictures. Oh, I of, put that on Facebook. Oh, the mass. Well, now I have to finish it for them. Go ahead. So, posting pictures of mass shooters, um, cleaning up graffiti and shit. Here's a picture of Ted Bundy washing dishes. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, to find pictures from this story, go to our Instagram and Twitter at Gumshoe Weekly. Our Facebook at Gumshoe Pod. And email us any suggestions or questions at Gumshoe Weekly at gmail.com. Bye. Bye.